You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. to Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I just want to record Genesis 14 and a sermon on Genesis 14. Uh, the live stream went down on Sunday just as I was preaching. So I thought, uh, excuse me, I thought I would rec- record this just in case as, well, for posterity, in case anyone who wants to hear it. So um, it's Genesis 14 and it's an interesting story about a, a battle. And it's really helpful, I think, to if you can look along with some maps and see where we are in terms of the geography of the ancient Near East, where this happens, that, that helps. But there's a lot of names, but I think it does reduce down into a fairly simple battle. Anyway, Genesis 14, let me read the text. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, and Kedileoma, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made more war with Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemebeb, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kedileoma, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedileoma and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavakariathame, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Kedileomar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elassar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled into the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Anah. These were the allies, these were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house. 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobart, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Kedileoma and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shabai, that is, the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. 
And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol and Mamre take their share. Well, Genesis 14 is an account of a battle. It is the first account of a battle in the Bible. God promised to bless Abram, but the world Abram now lives in is marked by evil, by greed, by marauding armies, by slaughter, by injustice, by war, a world which is painfully real to so many people around the world today. But in the midst of this world of battle and warfare, we find the surprising victory of Abram and the surprising rescue of Lot. There is a note of hope in the midst of a dark world. So we come to the summary of the text. The first paragraph gives the setup, the backstory. We read of the original battle by which the kings of the east subdued the kings of the south. This was when they made the kings of the south vassals and became their overlords. Finally, the kings of the south rebel. That's verses one to four. In the second paragraph, the kings of the east come back to the land to exert their lordship. They rampage through the land to exert their rule and defeat many Canaanite cities verses 5 to 7. Next, the kings of the east meet the kings of the south who have rebelled in battle and defeat them. They take the people of Sodom as goods, plunder, uh, including Abram's nephew, Lot, verses 8 to 12. At length, Abram enters the fray to rescue Lot. There is this surprising victory. Abram returns with Lot and brings back plunder, verses 13 to 16. Then there's a final scene of victory with Abram having returned from battle meeting two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek. It's quite an exciting story. It's packed full of interesting details. It foreshadows many surprising victories in the Bible. And it speaks ultimately to the triumph of the seed of the woman over the seed of the serpent, speaks of how Abram's offspring are going to fill the world and subdue it. Well, the first paragraph then is the setup, the backstory, which introduces the characters and establishes the conflict. Verse 1 um, puts Amraphel, king of Shinar, in the first place. As we read on, we, we find that it's Kedileoma who is listed first, and he is the, the chief king. Sometimes it, uh, the narrator says Kedileoma and the kings who were with him. But verse 1 puts uh, king of Shinar in first place. And this is because Shinar is meant to remind us of Babel. Shinar was the title used in the Bible for southern Mesopotamia, the, the land between the rivers, the region of Babylon. And Shinar is identified with Babylon in Genesis 10, 10, 11, 2, 11, 9. So as we are introduced to these kings, we read, we reflect that they are kings from the east, from the land uh, around Babylon. Kedileoma was an Elamite. Elam was a son of Shem. And in this passage, we see that the Canaanites, who were sons of Ham, are being made the servants, the vassals of the sons of Shem. And all this was promised in Genesis Chapter 9, verse 25. Noah, who was dishonoured by his son Ham, uh, says this, Cursed be Canaan, son of Ham, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So in this passage, we find that the Hamites, the Canaanites, are becoming 
the servants of the Shemites. So both um, Kedaleomar and Abram are of Shemites. Now, Elam was the rising kingdom at the time. Elam, the Elamites sacked Ur, and uh, Abraham by that time had left Ur. And for many years, scholars regarded Genesis 14 as pure fiction. Uh, but archaeology has shown that the Elamite kingdom did actually have military interests in Canaan uh, at this time. So here, these eastern kings come and make war on the kings of the south, on Bera, king of Sodom. Sodom mentioned first because of the connection Lot has with Sodom. Now, these eastern kings made war and had conquered the southern kingdoms, and that the southern states had made a, a defensive alliance but were conquered at the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. And so these southern kingdoms with their cities became servants. They become vassals in fulfillment of Noah's prophecy. And so, as vassals, they had to pay tribute to their overlords of silver, gold, and flocks, and that sort of thing. Well, 12 years, verse 4 says, they served Kedileoma, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. They stopped paying tribute. And that's the setup. Well, then the conflict develops. First, the kings of the east come into the land to exert their lordship, verses 5 to 7. They come down into the land and go on this great rampage against various Canaanite, Hamite tribes. These Canaanite peoples were the, the people... Uh, who Israel were later so afraid of when it came to the later conquest of the land under Joshua. Remember how Joshua sent out spies to spy out the land. In Numbers 13, we read that the spies returned in fear. The land was good, but the inhabitants were fearful and frightening. They say this, that they report of the goodness of the land, and then they say, uh, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the Cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, dwell in the hill country. That's Numbers uh, 13, 28 to 29. Well, the conquest of Kedileomar in Genesis 14 shows the sons of Shem subduing the Canaanites in accordance with Noah's prophecy. And it was meant to be an encouragement to those who came later, those who then had the task of driving out the Canaanites from the land. The spies should have read Genesis 14. Well, this all shows uh, the great power of Kedileomar, the Shemite, uh, who made the Hamites his servants. And then verses 8 to 12, we read of the fight between the kings of the east and the kings of the south. So they're near the Dead Sea, back in the, the, what was called before the, the Valley of Sittim, and the kings of the south are defeated and plundered. And we're told this interesting detail in verse 10. We're told that the Valley of Sittim was full of bitumen pits. Literally, uh, the Hebrew says they are, there were pits, pits, tar. So to form a, a comparative in Hebrew, you simply double the word. You may know that to form the superlative, you, you triple the word. So holy, holy, holy is the superlative. But to form the comparative, you simply double the word. And so these pits were not simply pits. They were pits, pits. These pits were particularly pity pits. And they were pits, pits, tar. They were bitumen pits in this region. It's known for its asphalt deposits. They were tar pits. And some of the kings, as they flee in defeat, fell into them, or it's reflexive. It, it could be they threw themselves into them or they hid in them. But either way, it speaks of the utter defeat and ruin of these kings of the south uh, by Kedileomar. 
And I think if you were making a film of this, this would be a great detail to inc include these kings falling into these tar pits uh, or hiding in them and the rest fleeing to the hill country. So, uh, verse 11, the enemy took possession of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, and the camera would pan to a close-up of Lot here and his being taken off, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went on their way. Lot here, uh, we find, is dwelling in Sodom. He, in the previous chapter, we find that he had pitched his tent near Sodom. It goes from bad to worse. He's now dwelling in Sodom. He'd moved away from the presence of the Lord. Now he's dwelling within the city of man. Um, one compromise leads to another. So Lot is taken away as plunder along with the goods of, the, of Sodom. Well, then we find that Abram enters the fray to rescue Lot. He's on a rescue mission. He's acting in a kingly capacity to protect and help his kinsmen. And Abram here pursues this righteous cause. Abram here is described as Abram the Hebrew. This is the first time this designation occurs in the Bible. The name Hebrew is derived from his ancestor Eber, who was a descendant of Shem. And that's commonly how the nations referred to the descendants of Abram. It comes up a lot in the book of Exodus that these are the Hebrews. Well, Abram, we find, is not going out after Kedileomar alone. He has some allies with him who are listed there in uh, verse 13. But Abram, he musters the fighting men. There's 318 of them. And they saddle their camels, one presumes, and horses and track the enemy, the army, up to Dan, which was a trek over 100 miles north. Dan was in the northernmost part of Israel. Um, and it wasn't named that in Abram's day, but the names here, many of the names have been updated for a later readership. So Dan to Beersheba would be like from uh, Land's End to John O'Groats. Uh, Dan was the right of the north, Beersheba was right at the south. So we see Abram's dominion over the land is wide-ranging here. And then we read of Abram's strategy. He employs many of the classic principles of war, like surprise, he attacks by night. Like deception, he divides the men into two groups to, to make the enemy think that there is a bigger attacking force. And then pursuit, he, the enemy are on the run and he pursues them up to Hobar. He uses those famous principles of war. Sun Tzu would have been proud of him at this point. So he goes right up to Damascus in Syria and rescues Lot. Abram is the kinsman redeemer who acts to deliver Lot. And this foreshadows many victories in the Bible where a small force has overthrown a large force. Think of Gideon's 300 men defeating the Midianite army as the Lord throws them into confusion. Well, then there is this final scene with Abram. He's rescued Lot and returned with Lot and not only him, but all the, the goods and plunder taken from the uh, Canaanite city of Sodom. And Abram comes down to meet the two kings. And so the final scene is a scene of victory. And the scene is crafted to show the contrast between these two kings. It has a chiastic structure. We have the king of Sodom, who goes out to meet him. But at the centre of the scene is Melchizedek, who blesses him. And then the king of Sodom speaks to him. So we're meant to see the contrast. The location here is the Valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley near Jerusalem, mentioned in 2 Samuel 18.18, and Melchizedek is associated with that region, with Jerusalem. 
Well, the king of Sodom first goes out to meet Abram, but it's this mysterious character, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who takes center stage. He comes to bless Abram. Melchizedek means king of righteousness, or my king is righteousness, um, or king of peace. And he's the king of Salem, Salem being peace. And he's connected, as I said, with the region surrounding um, Jerusalem, which uh, literally means foundation of peace. But who is Melchizedek? Where has he come from? Well, some have speculated that perhaps he's from the line of Shem. Some have speculated that maybe he actually is Shem. Or, or others have thought, well, perhaps he's a Canaanite king who's come to worship the true and living God. Um, but all of it is just that, really. It's speculation. We're simply not told. Because it appears here without genealogy. He, and then he disappears. Uh, he, we're not told of his mother or his father. We don't hear any more of him in the book of Genesis. He's mentioned in Psalm 110, which is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament, and in the book of Hebrews, as the writer develops the argument that he foreshadows Christ as the one with the office of uh, priest and king. And so Melchizedek here, he has the office of priest, he blesses Abram, and the office of king. He is uh, the king of Salem. So he foreshadows Christ in his office of king and priest. And that is the argument which is made so much of and developed in the book of Hebrews. Well, Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, a kingly gift, gifts to celebrate victory for Abram and his men, gifts which presuppose conditions of peace, of settled agriculture and viticulture. And then he blesses Abram. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He blesses Abram. He recognises that it is the God most high who has brought victory for Abram, not Abram's military strategy alone, but the most high God who delivered Lot from the hand of his enemies. Melchizedek recognising that Abram is living under the blessing of God. He blesses Abram, and Abram blesses him, giving a tenth of all the plunder. So Abram recognises the stature of Melchizedek as a great king and as a great priest of the true and living God. Well, it's all quite a contrast with the king of Sodom, who is surly and rude, who says simply, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Well, you would have thought, um, after all that has, Abram's done for him, that he might have said something nice, like, thank you. Well, here is a Canaanite king who dishonours Abram in this. And we remember God's promise to Abram, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who dishonour you, I will dishonour. And the later chapters of Genesis, we read of the end of the city of Sodom. Well, Abram uh, does not want to take any of the goods. He, he raises his hand, he makes an oath. He wants it to be known that it is the Most High God who has blessed him and brought this victory. He does not want to receive anything, a threat, thread from the king of Sodom apart from what his allies had taken and the men had used. If Abram is going to be blessed, it is by the Lord of heaven and earth, not by the Lord of Sodom, the king of Sodom. Abram does not take plunder from the Canaanite city of Sodom. And here, interestingly, he's obeying the law given later for the conquest of the land in Deuteronomy 20. So Abram is being presented as a righteous man who obeys the law. The law is written on his heart even before the law was formally given. If Abram is going to be blessed, it will be by the Most 
high God. So here is an example of Abram's faith. He trusts in the blessing of God. He forgoes the spoils of war, which he could have taken, and trusts that God will bless him. Well, that is the account. Here it is. It's a wonderful account, full of interesting details. But why is it here? Why study it? Well, first of all, does it not fill out our view of Abram? We're familiar with Abram and Sarah wandering through the land, waiting for a child. But I think we are less familiar with Abram, the warrior. Abram who musters his men. Abram who goes on this daring nighttime rescue mission. We see just a bigger picture of Abram here and his faith and trust in the Lord and how that is worked out. And we see also Abram's righteousness emphasised in various ways. We see that in his kindness to Lot. Lot had separated himself from Abram, gone his own way, gone to live in Sodom, and Abram would have had every reason just to leave him to his uh, misfortune. But nevertheless, Abram acts in loyalty and kindness to his kinsmen. We see Abram's righteousness in that Abram refuses to take the blessing until God gives the blessing. Abram here trusts God to make him rich and God to prosper him. He does not seek the shortcut to blessing by joining with the enemies of the Lord. And so we, uh, we also see here in this first battle um, the beginnings of God's purpose to establish his righteous kingdom upon the earth, which will continue uh, through the Davidic kingdom as he establishes David as king. And this chapter foreshadows the many surprising victories of the descendants of Abram as God works out his purposes, both at the time of the conquest and later on, as uh, the people of God, the Israelites, face many fearful enemies, the Amalekites, the Canaanite tribes. And yet they are to think, well, if Abram, with God's help, could defeat Kedileomar, then surely God could bring about a great victory for Israel against all her enemies. If they trusted God like Abram, if they lived under the blessing of God like Abram, would they not also succeed? So this foreshadows and anticipates the conquest of the land uh, where kingdoms which were wicked were brought to judgment. And this chapter with its surprising victory foreshadows um, also the life of David. David who won a surprising victory over Goliath um, and foreshadows ultimately the, the victory of Christ. Christ who wins a surprising victory at the cross. The victory over death and hell itself. His enemies put him in the grave. They thought they had won. And yet Christ wrought deliverance. He rescued us through the cross and brings us to himself. It's a surprising victory. And then Christ sends out his church in conquest, in fulfilment to the Abrahamic covenant. Christ, uh, before he ascended into heaven to reign on high as the king of righteousness and the king of peace, said to his church, said to his apostles, go disciple the nations. Well, there were 12 apostles, uh, most of them fishermen, and he sent them out to win a series of surprising victories. If you had pit the church against the might of Rome, well, who would you bet on? Probably Rome. But it was ultimately the church that conquered. And so today we can anticipate many surprising victories for the gospel and for the church of Christ as Christ and his gospel are preached amongst the nations. As we look around us at the many giants in the land, as we uh, tremble in our boots at giant uh, secularism or giant atheism, we should know that the Lord has in store many surprising victories for the people of God and steal our nerve and trust 
in the Lord as Abram trusted in the Lord. And so as we head to Easter, we head to proclaim the death, burial, resurrection and return of Christ. And we are to trust that the triune God will work surprising victories to deliver men and women from Satan's kingdom. So I think this strange passage should simply inspire courage and hope in us as we consider God's purpose to establish righteousness on the earth, even in the midst of times of injustice and unrighteousness. So we look forward to and anticipate the continuing advance of God's surprising reign until Christ returns in glory and power and majesty to fully establish his reign and finally to put down the last enemy, which is death. For, as it says in Psalm 110, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And we pray um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk. Thank you.